You know, if, if you wanted to listen to 95 Mac Happy Hour every single day for one year with no no like gaps in days, as of this episode, you could do that. Because that is true. Yeah. That is true. This is episode 365. That's that's pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. Like, like we don't obsess about numbers. Like you know, like Apple Apple's now worth three trillion dollars. Big deal. You know, but but 365 episodes. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't think we've shouted out a big episode number milestone for a while. Yeah. Like, it would have at least been 300, which is now over a year ago. Yeah, I think we usually skip, like, arbitrary tens or things that end in zero, yeah. but this is the amount of time it takes the Earth to orbit the sun, so that's very important. That is pretty cool. I mean, we've done Happy Hour every single week without missing a week for seven years or whatever it comes out to, six years. Yeah, some, like, some of us have done that. It's pretty, pretty mental. <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, we we've both taken like occasional weeks off and stuff, but no, overall, we're pretty consistent. So I'm I'm happy. I think about we that, only ever pre-recorded an episode, like if you're going to be away, and then I've had a number of episodes where I where I have uh, you know Jeff or Chance fill in for me. Yeah, but in, I mean, there's always been a happy hour episode. Out, it has been. Yep. And people have always listened to it, which I'm very thankful for. I'm also very thankful for everybody that subscribes to the pay version of the show, which gets you the same show but with no ads. Uh, through Apple Podcasts, we launched that uh, last year. It's still going strong. If you want to do it, it's four ninety nine a month or forty nine ninety nine a year. And there was an issue that we had to go back and forth with Apple for a little while, where if you were subscribed, you'd still get the ad down the ad version download originally. Then if you delete the download and load it, it would give you the ad free version. Big complicated mess. But I'm glad to say that that has been fully resolved now. So from now on, if you subscribe to the ad free version, you will always get the ad-free audio. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe, that's fine. You can carry on listening to the show. We're not, we're not going anywhere. But if you want an ad-free experience and maybe we'll do some bonus episode on the road or something, uh, subscribe. So thank you very much. If you have the ad-free version, do you hear what you just said? That's up to our editor. Uh, <laughs> Whatever his name is. Whether this counts as an ad or not, that is up to yeah. him. Something about the metadata, I don't know. Um, something <laughs> I forgot to mention last week is that I ordered the Apple polishing cloth. If you may recall this as the hot item for 2021, uh, Christmas time. And um, it was because it was available like for, for two-day shipping, ended up coming the very next day. But the, the, the real reason I wanted to order it is because I saw in the Apple Store app where you could do like a gift message. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for the tweet. Uh, and, and I wrote in, um, good job, Men to Five Mac. Keep up the great work. Signed, Tim Cook. And they, they printed that on the, on the packaging. And uh, the next day, I, I, you know, posted it and just said, wow. And I admit, I think, I think, a, I don't know what the percentage breakdown would be, but I know that a number of people thought it was real and were, were giving me their sincere congratulations uh, on receiving well, that. People thought that Tim Cook is saying Yes. Um, but I think more people understood the joke and it, it was well received. Um, it was, <laughs> it's been a while since I've had a hit tweet and that was one of them. So. That is funny. Yeah, I... I we can hardly get Apple to speak to us, let alone send us free gifts. <laughs> I don't know about you. I get to talk to him daily. It's all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the topic of the, the polishing cloth, though, um, you know, I think it's hilariously priced at $19. Uh, I think it was hilarious how it became a meme. Um, I also think it's really good at what it's supposed to do, like like take all the fingerprints off your your screen or trackpad or whatever. Um and so I, I'm I'm almost embarrassed to say that like it, it is pretty good at what it does. It doesn't. <laughs> it's a polishing cloth, not a cleaning cloth. So like if you've got you know um, spaghetti sauce on your screen, you, you're not going to want to polish that off. You're going to want to clean it first and then polish. But 
Um, it, it made my trackpad feel like brand new for like the like out of the box, no oil on it or anything. Um, same, same. Well, well, seeing as you're trying to forge a real topic out of this, how would you clean your screen uh, before the polishing cloth? Uh, the same as I do now because it's only a polishing cloth, not a cleaning cloth. Well, this $20 value is getting worse and worse. <laughs> so how do you clean your screen and then before you polish it? I, I used to use these Sony uh, Zeiss branded lens cleaners um, mm-hmm. also on my glasses. Uh, not my Apple glasses, but my, my, my glasses glasses. And um and and that was cool for a while, but I stopped buying those. I don't know why. It was just I, I had a big inventory, and then I then I didn't replenish it. Um, the last time I screen my, cleaned my screen, it was like the, it was Windex and, and a cloth, you know, and it did the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, but I'm still doing that, obviously. Um, but but when when it's literally just fingerprints, you know, like you're embarrassed to you open up your your MacBook in a coffee shop, and you you never see the fingerprints until you're in public, and it's like all these things everywhere you know you can really mm-hmm. give it a, a good cleaning um and and this week you know to make another topic out of it you know accidentally the we we uh we, we gave attention to apple's recommended way of cleaning the polishing cloth which is soap and water um but i heard i heard from from uh from from nine to five mac reader jj and jj says that he did that method and his cleaning cloth, his polishing cloth, excuse me, that's not a correct way to say it, uh, is is now uh, stiff like cardboard. So don't know, ah. don't know. Maybe so that twenty dollar polishing cloth, it's single use. Yeah, you know, on the XDR, the 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 five thousand and up display, uh, it yeah. comes with a bigger version of the, the polishing cloth, um, mm-hmm. specifically for the nano texture display. Because if you use anything else on it, you can damage it, and it won't work right or look right. Um, now on that support document, they say if you lose it, this is where you buy it. You know, buy another one, and and that's well, the twenty dollar cloth is not bad value when you're thinking about your six thousand dollar monitor. Yeah, I mean that that's clearly how they priced that it. That nanotexture is a thousand bucks, so is the stand. Yeah, and you got to be careful if you want that. If you because they warn you left, right, and center about cleaning the nanotexture. It's precise instructions. Uh, that's right. For my laptops and stuff, generally I just use either a tissue that's wet and then a tissue that's dry, which is like the the cheap solution, or you can get a isopropyl wipes they're like alcohol wipes uh you just scrub that over and then you do a dry wipe after and it comes up pretty clean which i think is close to what they do in the apple store i don't know don't quote me on that that might also be against apple's recommendations but that's what i've done and it works fine. remember when cleaning your laptop was was a was a topic uh and it required uh air in a can and a very specific angle like oh yeah the keyboard 45 stuff, degree yeah. angle and and uh and and, and uh, air in a can and i never i Despite having my terrible MacBook Pro 2016 for five years, I never used the aerosol can method. <laughs> I should have done. That was a great opportunity. But I, I would always take the approach of just slamming the key that stuck a million times until it unstuck itself. <laughs> Which did work. Break down the crumbs uh, and the grit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, and uh, also happened this week. There's There's been a really fun um, privacy invasive uh, bug with Safari. What happened there? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to make this show just covering a bug every single week, but they keep coming out bugs that are actually pretty important, I think, and like relevant. And the overall the overall point would be that look, bugs are always going to happen. Doesn't matter what company you are. It's more about how you like acknowledge the issue, fix the issue timely, and then move on, right? Um, all these companies, Apple, Google, any big tech company, they they have big teams of security people. 
checking for issues con- on a constant basis, fixing things. Most bugs get fixed before the things ship, right? And that's how it should be. But you're always going to have, it doesn't matter who you are, things are going to slip through. What really matters is how you deal with it after the fact. And whether you're talking about the bug bounty program and Apple's relationship with the, you know, the kind of uh, black hat community or white hat communities, like they have, a, they have a checkered history and they have, sometimes they do better than others. And I think in this case, it was probably one of the worst of times because a, a company called Fingerprint JS who do like security research into uh, fingerprinting techniques, which is like, you know, one form of fingerprint is a cookie, but all the modern browsers block cook- cookies for tracking. So they have to do much more sophisticated techniques. And, one of the things that um, Fingerprint.js had found is that in Safari, uh, by exploiting a a data visibility issue in uh, IndexedDB, which you don't have to worry about what it is. It's basically just like a form of local storage that a web app can use. Uh, they could look at that, look at information they shouldn't have had access to and know what recent websites you'd visited without any permissions and even some more compromising information like your Google user ID and in their little like online demo, you could go onto their page and it'd have a list of domain names that would pop up and say, you've been on these websites recently and here's your profile picture from your Google account because they were like just looking at the data that Safari was giving them when it shouldn't be. And the actual bug is quite interesting that IndexedDB is just basically like a little mini database per domain, right, that lives on your computer and local storage. I believe even um, Wordle, you know, the Word game, that uses something just like this because it saves it per device locally in the browser, um, and it's very common for these kind of, you know, modern web apps to have to store some offline states. So they use a thing called IndexedDB. Well, the design of IndexedDB is that you can only get the database that corresponds to your own domain. And that was true in Safari in that if you tried to access, if you were Amazon.com, you tried to access the Google.com database, you wouldn't be allowed to. But what you could see is the names of the database is. So that's the, how they were working out which recent domains you visited, just by snooping on the list of all of the IndexedDB databases that were on your browser and then seeing, oh, here's a Google database, here's a Computer World database, here's a Twitter database, here's a Blimmer database, and basically using that as a proxy for your recent browsing history. And the way they got your Google profile image, or maybe even worse, more Google information, is that Google happened to name its databases with the ID of your user account in the name of the database. So it'd be like Google-1128, blah, 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 blah. And so this website would just see that list, find the Google ones, strip out the user ID and look up your profile picture. In a properly behaving browser, like Chrome or anything else, you'd only ever be able to find the database names for the corresponding domain that the website's on. But Safari had a bug where it wasn't checking the origin, so it could see all of them, which is kind of bad. The uh, responsibility problem from Apple's perspective is that Fingerprint GS said that they reported this to Apple in November and there was seemingly no progress or no correspondence or no acknowledgement of the issue all the way through to January 16th when, you know, Fingerprint JS gave stopped waiting and just published it. And then about two days later, the open source WebKit uh, repository had a fix in there. Uh, so they, you know, they turned around a fix pretty quickly once it came out to the public. But of course, that fix is still going to take days, weeks to actually ship in the operating systems. Yeah. Do you have an idea? So it was discovered in November. Do you have an idea of how long this existed? At, at least the entire iOS 14, iOS 15. Like, yeah, wow. Maybe forever. Yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> is it possible this has always been there and it's only been discovered now? Yeah, they they said it worked on fourteen and fifteen, okay. but it could very easily work on older operating systems. And it works on the Mac and it, you know, every Safari platform. And on 
you know, if you if you were really worried about this bug on the desktop, you could use an alternative browser like Firefox or Chrome, which wasn't vulnerable to the problem. But on iOS, all browsers use Safari's rendering browser, right? WebKit. And that meant that every third-party browser on iOS was susceptible to the same problem. So you were, you know, you were at the mercy of Apple sending you an update. Yeah. And right now, you, that still applies. Like, they they fixed it in the open-source WebKit, but now we have to wait a fortnight, a month, for it to actually deploy to public users, which is kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little bit bad. And now, and now it's out there, too. Um, and and then and then also there's been uh, movement this week. Uh, I think Apple finally announced or, or published on on their website how many users um, are 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 uh, iPhone and iPad users are now on iOS 15. They usually publish that like soon after the update, but this year they didn't. Uh, and there's been movement there too of like you know how, how the the process is going this year. So what's 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 changed there this week? Yeah, so Apple finally announced uh, adoption was up to 72% for iOS 15 uh, as of January, but that is uh, down significantly from the year before uh, where they gave a 72% number only a month after iOS 14 shipped, so comparing October versus January, right? So clearly slower adoption. And everybody was expecting slower adoption because one of the things Apple announced as a feature for this cycle was that you could opt in to only receiving security updates and stay on iOS 14, so you wouldn't have to update to iOS 15 and immediately or forever uh, based on apple's initial you know feature list of this thing where you could go into your software update settings and you say i don't want to update to ios 15 i want to stay on ios 14 and they apple would continue to publish security fixes for you know a while uh, and you could just get the security fix on ios 14 and i have to go to 15 well apple's interpretation of that feature is that they said that to ask technica they always intended the ios 14 security update update option to be temporary and I think we all assumed it was temporary, but Apple never set like a firm date of like, you know, three months of support, six months of support. But if you were just being like a casual observer or a reasonable person, it kind of seemed like you'd be able to stay on iOS 14 all the way through to the release of iOS 16, right? And then when iOS 16 come out, you'd be forced to stay on 15 or whatever, yeah, right? Sense. Like some some whole release cycle like that, because there were no asterisks when Apple disclosed this feature as part of iOS 15. It just said, you can stay on, stay on iOS 14 if you want to. Well, whether they were motivated by slow adoption or whatever other reason, or maybe it's just poor communication, uh, Apple has now stopped releasing security updates for iOS 14, and they're forcing everybody to move to iOS 15 in January, which is like a third of the way through the iOS 15's lifetime. So if, if you did want to take advantage of that stay on for security updates feature, you can't anymore. If you want the latest security updates, you have to go to 15. Apple says the idea or the intent of the feature was so that you know enterprises, individuals, wouldn't have to immediately update to iOS 15.0 uh, on day one, which maybe has more bugs right because it's a big major update and they could defer it off to 15.1 15.2 or in this case 15.3 uh which makes sense but the way it was communicated in the first time round it sounded like they were going to be a lot more generous than what they've been so i don't think it's a big deal but it's just kind of like uh, you know the, uh, the apple pr tried to pass it off as this is no change of policy whatsoever but at least to how they communicate it to the world i think the reasonable explanation has been rebuked yeah yeah, um, so you're not going to get that fix for the Safari stuff then if you're, if you're still on 14. No. Nope. 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 All right. And you're not going to get it on 15 yet either because the, 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 
there's no update out for it yet. That's true. And and 15.3, that's about to come out, right? Because we got the release candidate today, which means probably maybe next week it'll ship. Yep. Yep. And so far, there's no new features really in 15.3 at all. <laughs> like, it's just security and bug fixes, which is kind of strange. But... And, and on the Mac, they're like redoing the music app behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The, the biggest development there, I think, is that it clears the way for 15.4 beta, um, and that could include universal control on a Mac and iPad, <laughs> maybe. Oh, yeah, universal control. We're still waiting for that, yep. So by the time of our next episode, which will be the Leap Year episode 366, uh, we probably already have 15.4 beta to start talking about. <laughs> Happy Hour this week is sponsored by New Relic. As well as doing this podcast... I make apps, I write software, and if you're a software engineer, you have to relate to this story. It's late at night, you're unwinding, about to go to bed, and bing, 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 your phone is buzzing because something has gone wrong in your software stack. Maybe the app isn't working for end customers, maybe the backend server's down, whatever it is, there's just a mad scramble to try and work out what has gone wrong. Modern software is complicated, and there are so many layers that could be at fault. And what New Relic does is offer comprehensive and precise system monitoring so you can quickly hone in on the problem and fix it. You don't want to have to need to deploy the entire team messaging each other back and forth for hours to try and debug the issue. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally have to buy separately, but it's in an all-in-one offering. So engineering teams across the front end and the back end of your organization can see the entire software stack in one place. That's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen, so get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the entire New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data for free forever with no credit card required. To do that, sign up at newrelic.com slash happy hour. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash happy hour. One more time, newrelic.com slash happy hour. Thanks to New Relic for sponsoring the show. We, we spoke last week about the Apple AR, VR, mixed reality headset and how specific the rumors about it were getting, uh, and this was yeah. You were you were um, satirizing <laughs> Ming Chi Kuo's uh, very precise yeah. prediction of a ninety six watt um, yeah, power cable. That's right, power uh-huh. And it turns out, but it turns out it turns that out. that little that little tidbit of information has given us a big span of further context uh-huh. to follow up on. Yeah, and it, it's that um, Mark Armin of Bloomberg says that the the mixed reality headset right now is facing. Um, a few issues. So the most important one is that the thing that you put on your face and wear is overheating, which kind of freaks me out. Just imagine that. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of power there, 96 watts to charge it. That's a lot of uh, power. Um, a lot of battery on your face. A lot of battery on your face. And, um, and, and the next issue is that the camera hardware isn't quite where they want it yet. They're having issues with that, which seems pretty important for what it is. Um, and then, it ends with um, sort of the the ROS, the reality operating system that it will run, uh, it isn't quite ready for prime time yet. And all of that to say that what could have what what could be revealed this year 
it sounds like at the current pace won't be talked about at all by Apple and it'll be, a, it'll be a next year thing. So according to Mark Kerman, they wanted to give the announcement at least in June, presumably at WWDC and at the rate they're going now, it, it could be a year off from even then. So might not be the yeah, like a year off from even announcing yeah, the airline ship. Yeah, it might not be the year of the mixed reality headset after all. Yeah, and Mark believes that they originally wanted to announce it at last year's WWDC, but that also got pushed, uh, obviously, because now now we're six months on and it hasn't happened. Uh, yeah, the the ninety six watt thing we were speculating last week how that can give you an a you know a a benchmark approximation of the kind of performance and power characteristics that apple wants in this headset and mark actually uh kind of reiterates that here by saying uh, he believes that there will be an m1 pro level processor inside the headset uh which is a 10 core cpu and a 16 core gpu in the current macbook pro those exact you know core numbers will probably be different for the headset maybe it's slightly cheaper on the cpu side but more expensive on the gpu side but that's the kind of level of performance that you're looking at, whereas you compare that to any of Apple's other mobile products, the iPad, the phone, obviously they're running, you know, not M1 Pro, they're just running M1 or less uh, in terms of what's on the iPhone. Like the the iPad gets M1, but this headset's going to have an even higher performance headroom requirement. <laughs> Headroom's a funny pun. Uh, it's going to need a big performance headroom to put on your big head. Yes. Uh, but the, the overheating situation is a little worrying. I mean... <laughs> Apple has obviously Apple's silicon is pretty power efficient, but if you with a laptop, you've got this big space to dissipate heat over for like an M1 Pro level CPU. To presumably on the headset, you're only going to have something that's a few inches across, so they're going to have to find a way to cool it down if they want to actually ship it. Because even if it doesn't pose a safety risk, having something warm on your face is probably uncomfortable. You know, if you're trying to use it as an AR headset, like you need it to be a, a cool product. Like you put glasses on, they don't warm you up. You know. So that is, even if it's not a safety risk, it's just a usability and user experience yeah, problem. Comfort. Comfort, exactly. Like, I'm sure they'll eventually fix it, but it is kind of annoying that if it does get pushed back again for another year, like, even if they have to push it back to, like, September to announce it and then it doesn't come out to the to the spring, like, I, I just have an in, a feeling that, and maybe they've been burned too much by, like, air power and stuff, but it's been so long in the running I feel like people are getting too antsy and they kind of need to show something. Uh, even if it's just a sneak peek, like September, here's the AR headset, here's a preview, it's shipping sometime next year, right? Like something to that effect. I don't know. It, it depends how problematic the issues are. Like if they were planning to announce it at this year's WWC, then it can't be that far off, right? Like that's that'd be my logic like, i i kind of feel like they have to announce it this year one way or the other yeah if they were to say june then then they've done announcements like that where they say by the end of the year and then it's like december 27th you know something comes out like mac pro for example um side note our, our esteemed colleague felipe esposito he says that it appears that ios 15.3 the release candidate fixes the safari bug we just spoke about so Oh, that's a nice that's a nice improvement. Yeah, he's he's tried it against the website safarileaks.com and he cannot get the Google ID or browsing history to leak. So good. Nice. Back to the headset. When the headset ships, <laughs> it won't be vulnerable to that problem either. Yeah, back to the headset. <laughs> Hot stuff there. Um man. Yeah. Hot stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. So that's that is that disappointing. That is disappointing. Um and, and read the camera stuff. What you have to remember is like if the camera's underperforming, that's a critical issue for the headset right. because 
like it's not like on an iPhone, the camera's just a feature of the iPhone. Like if the camera's not working, obviously they can't ship the phone, but the main features of the phone is still going to work. With the headset, you're you're doing an AR VR experience, and what you're doing for AR is you're not looking out into the world, at least on this version of the headset. Like maybe the glasses down the road, they'll have like passive see-through stuff, lenses. But for this headset, what you're seeing is what the cameras are seeing. So they the cameras take a view of the world. They're going to then replay that to you through the screen, the high resolution screens that your eyes look at, and then put stuff in on the screen over the environment. Um, so if the head, if the cameras aren't working, that's a big problem because then none of the AR stuff will work at all. So fingers crossed they can get this sorted out, and we'll actually see it in some form uh, or another this year. Mm-hmm. But it is a it is a a, a, a warning flag. Let's put it that way. Yeah, wasn't there a report? I forget from where, but one that we covered this week or last week that talked about a two thousand dollars starting price and prescription lenses as as a goal. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the information had a report last year that it was going to be a three thousand dollars price. So we're getting there. It's somewhere between one and three thousand yeah, dollars, right? Yeah, and it's going to be expensive. And you know, to be honest, it doesn't really matter whether it's two thousand or three thousand. That's still way out of the budget for any mass consumer adoption, right? Like this version of the product is not aimed at mass consumer use. I don't know whether they're going to just release it as like a developer kit with that kind of branding or a preview device, or, what, or if they're just going to pre- release it as if it is a mainstream thing, or maybe they call it like, I think they could call it Apple Pro headset and then price it like the Pro Display XDR, you know? like uh, And just, they're clearly going to e- earmark it in some way that this is not something we expect every iPhone user to go out and buy. Like, it's going to be in very low volumes to start with, less volume than even the Apple Watch was, was in its early years. And it will take, you know, second generation, third generation, and by the end of the decade they'll move on to the glasses product right which is really going to be mass consumer but it doesn't matter like to be honest it doesn't matter whether it's 1500 dollars. anything that's more expensive than like 500 dollars, it's not going to be a mass consumer product right so whether it's 900 dollars, two thousand dollars three thousand dollars the people that are going to buy it are going to buy it anyway right just to have fun to try it out to get apps ready uh the to be a mass consumer device you're going to have to be either $500 to be an accessory, because that's kind of the range of like an Apple Watch, right? Or if you're going to be a product that's so good it can replace your iPhone, then of course it could be closer to the $1,000 mark. But a product, the, the first generation of the Apple headset is not going to be able to replace your iPhone because you're only going to be using it for two or three hours a day. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's kind of where we stand there. All right. And uh, speaking of iPhone, there was a report last week that came out uh, with, the, with, with, with RAM numbers for the new iphone 14 lineup this fall and also uh the refresh rate which was a a, a feature of the iphone um, 13 pro this past year so uh for the iphone 14 the story here is that the 14 will get six gigabytes of ram which i think is the first upgrade of ram memory in two years but it matches what the 13 pro has so it's no change from 13 pro to 14 pro okay and then yep. the juicier thing is that this report claims that uh, the, the the 14 Pro won't be the only phone this year, new phone this year, that has ProMotion, the variable refresh rate for up to 120 hertz, that all new iPhones this fall, iPhone 14, you know, whatever non-mini version they come out with, uh, they'll, they'll all have ProMotion. So that won't be a, a differentiating factor this year. Um, there's There's since been like counterclaims to that. Mm-hmm. And I think I think just you know sort of working it out logically, it would be surprising. Um, 
for for me, like the the you know, if I'm like arguing for this report to be, you know, could could come true, could be accurate, it's that they did eventually bring OLED to every iPhone screen, you know, even if, even the ones that start at five ninety nine. Um, and that was a premium feature, but that was a premium feature for a few years before it came to the iPhone. This would be one year after the the Pro Phone had it, so I think that's that sounds a little soon for me. Yeah, I think if you want to give an argument as to why Apple would do this, it's because if you look at the Android space, all of their competition has higher refresh rate displays uh, at very much lower price points, right? Like the the Android markets had ninety hertz refresh rate displays for probably like four years, and they've had one twenty hertz refresh rates for like two or three years so their middle range phones now have higher refresh rate screens than what the more expensive base model iphones do uh of course what the android space does apple quite often doesn't really care they'll just go along their own path anyway because you know it's a different it's a whole different market uh, but if you wanted a stronger argument for why apple would feel pressured to bring promotion down the line faster that would be a, a reason to do it but i think it's unlikely from two angles one angle is supply chain all these Android manufacturers, they don't work on the same scale as, as Apple, right? Like, you need LTPO displays, which are for the higher efficiency panels, and it doesn't seem like Apple would be able to ship the iPhone Pro line and the non-Pro line with LTPO panels this year. There's just not enough su- supply for it. I mean, we're already in a chip-constraint market, like it seems unlikely. So I think on that supply chain side alone, it seems something that seems a bit fantastical to expect every single iphone 14 to be able to do a promotion just based on the availability of ltpo and then if you look on like the the product marketing side i think apple called it promotion for a reason like i know that started with the ipad pro five years ago but just look at the ipad right like it started with the ipad pro five years ago with the ipad pros in 2017 and fast forward to 2022 i.e right now still the only high refresh rate ipads are the ipad pro line. same for the mac like the ipad air the iPad mini, the base level of the iPod, they're, they're 60 FPS screens. Um, and that's because the general market doesn't really care that it's promotion or not. Like, I care, you care. You know, if, 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 you, if you give somebody a high refresh rate screen, they can probably intimate or think in their brain that, oh, look, this is more responsive, this feels nice. But it's nowhere near enough of a, of a seller for them to prioritize just giving it to everybody because that's not what sells phones. Or that's not what sells devices because a lot of people can't perceive it at all. So they're only going to do it on the entire range of of machines when it becomes so cost in a bit cost uncost prohibitive for them to do it. So on both supply chain and kind of like product market now product marketing side, I think it's pretty unlikely that this report's accurate. I think we'll have at least another definitely this year, probably next year as well, where only the pro models get promotion and. Maybe if Max lower end Max start getting promotion, or maybe the iPads start getting promotion. Like the iPad Air, right, would be the next target to get a promotion display. And as for everything we know, that's not going to happen. So it doesn't seem like they're going to rush to do it on the iPhone either. Yeah, just one more point for the for you know argument for it. Um, mm-hmm. you, you do get battery life improvements, uh, right? Because it's it's not just one twenty hertz; it's variable refresh rate. So you could drop below sixty and 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 save battery in, in certain instances. So. Um, yep. So, so they could say, well, we want, we want to hit these battery targets this year, and and promotion is the way to do it. So let's put it on all the phones. That's a fair point. That is a fair point. They could even have an LTPO display on the base iPhone 14 that only does 
variable refresh rate down right sure, like, sure. so you get the you get the battery life efficiency improvement but they don't let it go to 120 uh, amateur that's very possible yeah. Am- amateur motion yeah. that's this is mm-hmm. yeah they could just say now we've given you an extra half an hour of battery life and then won't even tell you the reason but if you actually look into it is because the the screens are at a variable refresh rate but it only maxes out at 60 but it can ramp down to 10 so that's something that's put very possible I don't think we've seen enough into evidence. Like this, this main report is from Jeff Poo at Haitong International Securities. He doesn't have a great track record, or he doesn't have much of a track record yet. So it's not like if Minchi Kuo said this, it'd be a different kettle of fish, right? Um, and I think if you just think wider, the availability, the scale of Apple makes it hard for them to do LTPO across the board so soon. But it'd be cool if they did. I just think it's unlikely. Okay. Uh, and then we are probably a uh, few a few months at most away from seeing the third generation iPhone SE and the next generation of iPad Air come out. Um, and, and and no real surprises here about what those will look like, but we did get the the, the sort of um, the, the first step of a product coming out, which is this Eurasian database at the, it was in Russia, right? That, that the, the mm-hmm. SKUs pop up there first. Yeah, the Eurasian Economic Commission has an incredible track record of <laughs> revealing... Apple product model numbers ahead of time. Usually, the stuff appears in the database like three months before they come out. That isn't, but you can't like stick to that as like that's like the average. They've come out a month before. They've come out nine months later. You know, about about three months, about two to three months is about average. And sure enough, there are new model numbers in this database that correspond to iPhone and iPad models. They don't say like iPhone SE, iPad Air five, right? They're not that specific. They just say Apple smartphones and Apple tablets. But it's probably a pretty safe bet that these correspond to the upcoming iPhone SE revision and the upcoming iPad Air revision, both products which we've had some more rumours over this week, so this seems like a good enough time to recap them. Uh, Both of these products, kind of very obvious incremental revisions, right? The iPhone SE, the design we believe is not going to change despite some rumours last year about this being a a redesign year. Those, Those plans seem to have been pushed back or were just never right in the first place. This generation of iPhone SE will look just like the current iPhone SE, but you'll get an A15 chip and you'll get 5G. And then similarly on the iPad Air front, that obviously only just got its redesign with the last release from 2020. Uh, we just This update in the spring is probably just going to bring up to speed with an A15 chip, uh, 5G support, and the center stage, the, the camera feature, right? It's where you've got the ultra-wide camera on the front, which is nice for video chat and stuff which is basically everything we saw apple add to the base level ipad and ipad mini last year there just hasn't been a ipad air generation with that stuff yet because it just hasn't come out before like there was a bit of a leapfrogging going on in terms of specs but that will get resolved when this new ipad air comes out and most most importantly the ipad air could get the quad led tritone flash that the mini has and the air doesn't yet (laughs) everybody's been waiting for that quad tritone flash (laughs) yep so yeah if you if you're looking forward to minor hardware upgrades uh, get ready that's right <laughs> happy hour this week is also brought to you by better help if you're feeling strained or if you've had a stressful time these last couple of years or maybe there's just something mentally preventing you from achieving your goals you probably just want someone to talk to who's trained about mental health and lifestyle so check out better help at betterhelp.com slash mac happy hour from the comfort of your own home better help assesses your needs to match you with a licensed professional therapist tailored to helping your personal well-being you can connect in a safe and crucially private online environment after signing up start communicating to a therapist in under 48 hours this is not run-of-the-mill self-help this is professional counseling 
done securely and safely online. And you can access counsellors specialising in all sorts of areas like stress, anger, relationships, depression, sleep and more. You can start a conversation with your therapist at your convenience. You just send them a message at any time and they'll respond in a timely manner. And you can also schedule more personal sessions like a weekly video chat or a phone call if you want to as well. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counselling and financial aid options are available. And of course, everything that you talk about is 100% private and confidential. So start living a happier life today. As a listener to this show, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash machappyhour. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states. Again, that's BetterHelp, spelt B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash machappyhour. BetterHelp.com slash machappyhour. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. And now back to our aforementioned colleague, Felipe Esposito. He, yeah, he's been on a roll. Yeah, he published some reports this week. So he's, he's, he's got this story about the, uh, you know, we talked about the iPad Air, about the, the next iPad Pro and um, what to expect there. Uh, what's he saying will, will, will come and what's he saying won't come? Yeah, so to kind of preface this stuff, we have to remember the Bloomberg reporting from last year, right, that said for 2022, Apple was preparing, preparing a major iPad design upgrade uh, possibly featuring a fully glass back for the iPad Pro, and that would support reverse wireless charging. Uh, because, you know, before, obviously, the iPad back is metal, but if you make it glass, you can do Qi charging, and you can uh, support reverse wireless charging feature as well. Uh, Bloomberg seems to believe that Apple eventually wants to let, like, every Apple product charge every other one, so you'd be able to charge, like, AirPods on the back of an iPad, uh, charge your phone on the back of the iPad eventually. So today, Apple has only tiptoed into reverse wireless charging functionality with the MagSafe battery pack, right? Because you can reverse wireless charge slowly the MagSafe battery pack on an iPhone. But the first step in this journey was supposedly going to be this fully glass-backed iPad Pro model that would come out sometime this year. And the last time Apple did a major iPad Pro redesign was 2017? 2018 was when they did that. Yeah, 2018 was the big Face ID iPad Pro update. So four years on, five years on, it feels like about time that they're going to do another big change. However, uh, our colleague Felipe Esposito says, according to his sources, uh, the rumored glass design may have been scrapped or delayed. It seems that the glass design was... (laughs) Get this, Zach. Easy to damage. And it made the product much more fragile. They just got to add a ceramic coating to it. Shield. shield. (laughs) Ceramic shield iPad Pro, yeah. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? That if you if you make an iPad with a massive glass back, it's easier to break. Uh, and then, but based on that, Apple has actually developed alternative iPad Pro prototypes that, instead of being fully glass back, they are metal, but they have a large Apple logo, uh, similar to the size of the one on the back of the new MacBook Pro. Because if you look carefully, the new MacBook Pro generation have slightly bigger Apple logos than the previous one, but. Obviously, on the MacBook, it's just like a plastic cutout for Wi-Fi antennas. On this iPad Pro prototype, the Apple logo would actually be made of glass. And so that would be the transparent region where you'd be able to transmit power through. So if you have uh, AirPods or an iPhone, you could, or you just charge the iPad Pro itself via Qi, but specifically in that little zone of the Apple logo. Uh, it would also have stronger magnets to prevent accidents if it's connected to a case and it would support uh, charging at faster speeds than 
uh, the MagSafe charger, the MagSafe charging puck that you can do on the iPhone. So obviously the iPad has a big battery, so it needs to be able to charge up faster than the speeds of wireless charging for the iPhone. So they give it a lot of magnets in this bigger Apple logo. They can make it charge faster. That makes sense to me. Like, I think a fully glass-backed iPad would be very cool, but it also sounds like a, a drop risk, <laughs> very easy to scratch or crack or break in some other shape or form. And so compromising by only making the Apple logo glass, that's a decent solution. And you can imagine them making like a, you know, a pad accessory where you just drop the iPad and it could magnetically align to and charge up, which would be nice. And that makes sense. Uh, the fully glass vision did always sound a bit out there. <laughs> like when we first talked about the glass-backed iPad Pro idea, it was like, oh, really? Is this, is this practical? And so it's already half glass. Just doing the logo sounds all right. Sure, but it's already half glass. Like one side is fully glass, so that's the reality. Um, but but I, I one side <laughs> is fully glass. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. But that side has to be glass, though. Like that's I feel like that's the difference, right? Like the everyone had these problems with the iPhone back in the day because that when they went from like the iPhone three GS to the iPhone four, suddenly everyone was cracking the back of their iPhone because they were never used to having to protect the back of the iPhone. But I guess people adapt, and obviously nowadays every iPhone has glass back. Yeah. So the um. The the look of the iPhone seven in jet black where it wasn't glass but it looked like it, that would be cool. But it's it's not the kind of thing that you can charge through, I believe. I think you, you need glass for the charging. Um I also think about, you know, when Face ID came around, everyone wanted Touch ID or a lot of a lot of people wanted Touch ID to, to be um added to the Apple logo in the back of the phone so that you could have both. And they've since put Touch ID on 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 the side power button on the iPad, but we haven't had Touch ID on the phones. And so people ask for Touch ID on the Apple logo, and what we get is MagSafe, but not on the not on the phones on the iPad. So um, it's a, it's a little bit cheesy to me to put it in the Apple logo, but it also I guess it makes sense. Um, well, what would the other option be? Just like a, a, a like a rounded rectangular window somewhere on the back. Yeah, but- the camera bump's already big. And it kind of, it would probably then look like the old um, antenna line stuff before they just had those lines for the antenna. Yeah. They'd have that big like black cutout, right? Uh, dating back to even the first iPad, and I think everyone kind of agrees that that looked kind of dated. So if you're going to have a Apple logo on the back, you might as well make it do something, right? <laughs> sure. Like like when MacBooks used to light up the Apple logo, it did something. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the 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 logo does play some role because it helps with antenna dispersion of wi-fi and stuff okay but it was cooler when it let up let's be real yes. and then also Felipe esposito says for the future models apple is also considering to kind of change the front of the ipad by giving it a notch hmm. what do you think about a notch i think that that iPad. that um you you've got to think about it and interpret it for what it is which is not to say that they're going to take the uh ipad air ipad pro design and extend it the bezel on top of the notch. Um, the the idea there is that they would make the bezel even thinner, and the thickness of the from the iPad Pro. Um, we, you know, this is mainly iPad Pro because the iPad Air doesn't. It, it, well, it's got a webcam up there, but it doesn't have true depth camera sensor. Um, but but that you you'd have a thinner bezel around the the iPad uh, screen itself. So that's so that's all right. Um, the you know, maybe it's like the Series Seven Apple Watch, where you think that you know it's 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 got enough uh, screen to bezel ratio, but then you see the next thing, and it actually does look better. Um, yeah, you know, so you could see that. The argument against it, I I think a lot of people give, is that you need some place to hold the iPad, but 
Um, I'm not sure that that's, a, you know, you can hold it from the back and the side. So I don't know if the, and, and they, they do the accidental, um, you know, rejection, like on the, since they have had many. You know how like the iPhone, when they went from a non-notched iPhone to a notched iPhone, you have those safe areas on top and bottom yeah. where no important content goes, but it still lets like a full screen image bleed into the corners, right? Yeah. They could do that same concept on an iPad. If they wanted to make the bezels really, 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 really thin, they just have a much bigger safe area, which is your accidental tap region, yeah. right? So you can just ignore all touches in that area. And it would just look impressive when you're watching a movie or scrolling the web and you have the nice bleed, full bleed backgrounds and stuff, but it wouldn't actually impair your touch targets. Like, I would love them to make an iPad that look like that. Mm. It's not very practical because you're wasting so much screen just for, you know, a slight visual flair. Sure. But if they did it, it would look really cool. Yeah, and if you think this is ridiculous, like I, you know, maybe do, um, then there's this prankster company in South Korea called Samsung. And the same week that this this report came out from 9to5Mac, uh, Samsung showed off a tablet with a notch. So that's interesting, you know. The copy before they get I don't them. think it's crazy that Apple would do this. Like, sure, I'm staring right now at a nice MacBook Pro with a nice big notch in it. Like, yeah, you are. Is it really that different? And you know what? You know what would be a classic Apple move? They come out with the iPhone 14 with the hole punch, the punch hole and pill little little thing in the thing because they got rid of the notch. The notch is old fashioned, but they got a nice punch hole and a little pill shape in there now. And then the very next month, they're like, "Here's a brand new iPad Pro, and it's got a nice big notch in it." Yeah. <laughs> Because you know, very expected. I've got experience in that department where they release an iPhone with a different kind of notch, and then they release another product just about a month after that doesn't even have Face ID in it, and yet it has the notch the size that's still gigantic. Yep, could see it. I don't know if you quite get my drift in, but <laughs> could see it. it uh, that annoys me. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm more annoyed by the notch on the Mabra Pro just because, just because of that. <laughs> Like it's not even the thing; it's just the fact that they made it so much smaller on the iPhone 13, and they're going to make it so much smaller again on the iPhone 14. But then they plonk the full size notch without even Face ID on the MacBook Pro. It's like, come on! <laughs> they they did uh, move to Face ID uh, one year after bringing Touch ID to the MacBook Pro, so they've got a knack for this kind of thing. They just have those product transitions just between <laughs> the the crucial moments of people buying new ones. They they did. Dastardly Apple Apple Inc. And and to be clear, the, the the idea of a notch design isn't for this year's iPad Pro or whenever the the yeah. next version comes out. It's it's for a future date uh, down the line. And if you remember, Mark Gurman at Bloomberg said that Apple eventually wants to put Face ID in all of its products to eradicate Touch ID from all of the entire lineup. And so you can imagine in that future world, they could just have notches on the iPad, the iPad Air, the iPad Pro. So yeah, that could be the future. The iPad Touch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Apple Touch is just a notch in the product lineup. It just needs to go away. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, finally, um, I don't know why, but you want to talk about dating in the Netherlands, so let's do it. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, if you remember the Korean settlement, they were going to allow alternative payment systems in. Uh, that sorry, not the Jap- the Japanese settlement was last year, right? That was the one Apple agreed in court, and that's to allow a, a single link inside reader applications Securely. epic games uh in that ruling that is now being appealed and was stayed but the, the judgment was uh, any company would be able to put a nice little link in there obviously that is being appealed through the u.s courts so that's going to take years to resolve but there are other countries in the world and other court cases ongoing and so in the last recent weeks we've had a korean 
a diff a Korean resolution where Apple said that in accordance with local law they're going to allow uh, alternative payment systems inside the app uh, as well as linking out to the web and they will take reduced commission just like Google said they were going to do right in Korea. Similarly, for the Netherlands, Apple has also announced that they're going to comply with local laws and allow a in-app alternative payment system other than Apple's in-app purchase. But in the in the incredible uh, finesse of the court system, <laughs> it only applies to dating apps. So for dating apps in the Netherlands, Apple will soon be allowing a third-party app to offer alternative payment system or an alternative link out to the web. So you can either just link out to the web or you can offer like a full integrated native experience for buying an in-app purchase mm-hmm. for a dating application. Uh, Tinder obviously wants this for as part of Match Group because they don't want to give Apple 15 to 30% of their money for subscription. However, of course, Apple is allowing this in the spirit of the law, uh, in, in the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, they are going to push back against. Of course they are, because for one, they're going to still take commission, currently an undisclosed percentage, and if the percentage is not significantly lower than 15%, it probably doesn't make sense for most companies to adopt this anyway because they're going to have to pay a credit card processor themselves some percentage of the of the fee, which they may be make it more expensive than if they just used Apple's system. But in, a, in addition to the financial burden, Apple is also requiring that Tinder, for instance, to give an example, cannot just release the same version of the app in the Netherlands with different features unlocked. They have to make an entirely separate binary which includes entirely separate entitlements called the StoreKit External Purchase Entitlement and the StoreKit External Link Entitlement to then submit that to the App Store so you'd have a different version of the Tinder application that they can only sell in the Netherlands and then still maintain the same Tinder application that we know today worldwide. Which, you don't have to be a developer to get the gist that that's a big old pain. And so, clearly Apple is doing the bare minimum it can to comply with the ruling from the Netherlands authority because entitlements, separate app binaries, they're manageable, but they're annoying. It's, it'd be a lot easier if you know Tinder could just flip a switch inside the app, which when when you're in the Netherlands, it can just show this other UI that lets them buy stuff inside the application. And on top of all of that kind of bureaucracy or you know just busy work, at the end of the day, Apple's still going to take a commission and presuming that percentage is the same as Google's, which is 11% in Korea, is getting 4% extra revenue really worth all the hassle? Seems unlikely. Yeah, <laughs> Apple's winning here, even if they're losing in, in some certain court cases and jurisdictions. They're <laughs> Yeah, which is obviously what they're going to do. Because if, if, if they wanted to clear this up, they would have come to some settlement years ago that would have offered some you know compromise middle ground. But they've shown their, their hand. They're going to fight this every step of the way. So anytime there's some kind of judgment... They're going to do the very, 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 very bare minimum to comply with the law. And of course, don't forget that although they're doing this, comp- <laughs> they are complying to the Netherlands ruling, but they are also appealing it. So they, they're, they're having to roll this out in the near term because it went through, I believe, just before Christmas. But they don't believe this is fair. They're going to appeal it and they obviously want to win, in which case they wouldn't even have to offer the entitlements and Tinder could just going back to being the same as it was in the rest of the world. Apple says that any transactions made with the alternate payment systems would mean that it cannot help customers with refunds, subscription management, payment history, and other billing issues. Mm. I do wonder whether, like, because obviously there's no, like, technical... Like, say if you wanted to put a link in your application to a third-party payment system, there's no technical barrier for you to doing it. It's only a policy barrier because AppReview won't allow it. So 
it's unclear to me what the point of the stalker external link entitlement is. Like, why would Apple invent that uh, for no other reason than to just make developers do some unnecessary amount of extra work to put them off from doing it? There is a chance, I think, that maybe Apple... And again, we're waiting. Apple said they will announce soon full details about this, but it's been a week so far and they haven't done anything. Um, I think there's a chance that maybe Apple is going to add like an API in iOS 15.4 or something where when you do, when an, when an app developer clicks, uh, when a customer clicks on a link to an external payment system, uh, it will then, the developer will be required to maybe call an API that is like silent, but it just reports back to Apple the amount of money that the customer is about to spend. Mm. So that way... Apple can track how much commission they're expecting to get because obviously if it goes to the external payment system, you know, there's no automatic way for Apple to collect commission. They're going to have to, you know, invoice it somehow. So maybe these entitlements will unlock some special APIs that these apps can then use, uh, which will then basically tell Apple how much money the customers just spent and then allow them to confirm the billing's accurate. Maybe it's something along those lines, but we are waiting for the official news. But the, the, the long and the short of it is, if you are a dutch dating app in the netherlands i think unless you're huge like tinder and obviously tinder wants the entitlements to be available worldwide because if the entitlements were available worldwide they could have then the same app binary available worldwide again mm-hmm. right uh but for now even tinder they might go to the effort to do this just to make it like a political statement to the rest of the world to say like, look we are doing this and we want to do this elsewhere but i think if you got down to the nitty-gritty of practicality it probably wouldn't be worth their time to do it even tinder is like the biggest player in the space Mm. 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 can you match like cross app binaries if you're you know what i mean yeah i guess (laughs) you probably could do that yeah i mean apple would be really mean if they only (laughs) let people in that version of the application if you don't use in app purchases there's no love there that's a new that's a new axis on the dating thing it's like where did you meet well we met in the stalker entitlement version (laughs) of tinder Mm. right. Um and and that's what we have for the week. Is there anything coming up that that uh, in the next week that we should look for? Um, we'll, we'll probably get the release of iOS fifteen point three and macOS. I think we're on twelve point two. Is that right? Yeah, maybe there will be some surprise features in fifteen point three that they haven't that they're going to withhold until the final version because it does seem kind of empty right now. Yeah, maybe, maybe the fifteen. The US. Beta. The US. Um, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to remind me on the US political system. What what is it? The judiciary, the committee, the some bill about the App Store went through today, right? It passed through one extra layer. Yes. and yeah, yeah. I don't know which layer or how close that layer is to actually doing anything of relevance, but I believe it is at least one step closer to being important. So there's probably Apple's probably going to have another PR campaign about that. About Because this week we also heard how Tim Cook in personally calling up like Ted Cruz and other people lobbying them to turn the bill down, but it has actually passed through the next layer of stuff. So... I'm expecting more of a PR blitz from Apple about how this is unsafe for everybody, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think the the level you're talking about is they've got committees that specialize in things, and then once once that group approves it, then it goes to the larger body to approve. And um, seems seems like it's gonna gonna happen to Apple. So not not a not a good season. I mean, they're winning in in the court system, but I think this is a whole other arena because you know it's it's uh, they're making the law, not interpreting the law. You know. Yeah. <laughs> all right well it's a crazy time yeah well that is the happy hour podcast for the week if you enjoy the show you can uh follow us on apple podcast overcast wherever you get your podcast spotify all of that you can uh subscribe in apple podcast get the ad free version we appreciate that and we appreciate anyone who supports our sponsors helps us keep doing the show 
If you have any feedback, you can email uh, Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're on Twitter at? B-Z-A-M-A-I. Are you going to do an NFT profile picture? No. And get a hexagon shape? No. I I like to imagine a a nice Venn diagram of the hexagon (laughs) being all people and then the circle, i.e. the outline that sane people use. It was, Twitter Blue released this today. So if you pay the three dollars a month, this is a new feature, Twitter Blue, where you can have your uh, an NFT that you that you have purchased be your profile picture. And um, I, I'm happy to admit I have no idea what that means or why you would want to do it. But you know, there there it is. Well, you have to pay to get your NFT minted, yes, and then you have to continue paying Twitter Blue subscription to then use the NFT as your profile. I like where people are doing the hexagon like cut out over their existing picture. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, Benjamin, I will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.